Amen. Hey everybody, I'm going to read for us today from Judges chapter 4 through to chapter 5 verse 3. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of, of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out to Sarah, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand? Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zayananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Hagoim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please, Give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple <clears throat> until he went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, 
Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Thank you, Nikki, um, for that. Really appreciate that Bible reading. Some lots of big names in there. Um, well, there are many stories in the Bible of ordinary people being used to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Uh, that is to fulfill God's purpose that He has for His people to basically make Him known, to make God known throughout the world. And many of us know people like David in the Bible, don't we? The the shepherd boy that ends up defeating Goliath and the Philistines and then later becomes the king of Israel. We we know of Paul, don't we, in the New Testament where Paul or Saul, as he has been in the book of Acts, where he's persecuting the new Christians and um, even calling for them to be murdered and arrested. And then he is converted. God saves him and he ends up writing the majority of the New Testament and doing wonderful things for the kingdom. But there are many more uh, people in the Bible that do extraordinary things for God, people that we don't necessarily focus on um, very much or hear of um, very much. And so that's what I'd like us to do over this next five weeks as we look at this sermon series, Jars of Clay, people that are used to do extraordinary things for God. You see, some were faithful to the call, as we'll see. Some weren't so faithful and needed a little bit of intervention from God, the direct intervention. Some had godly character already. Some were having that developed in them. Some were weak and knew it. Some were strong and thought they were strong, but didn't realise they weren't. Some were young, some were old. Some had a great deal of breaking down needed to be done in their lives. And so, likewise, we are all vessels for God. We're all jars of clay being moulded and used by the mighty potter's hand. 2 Corinthians verses 4 to 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, we too are jars of clay. We are being broken into millions of pieces and sculpted back together by God to fulfil his purposes. We may feel weak, we may feel tired at times, we may get weary as we all do. We grow old, we grow fail, and yet we are still all chosen by God to be able to do extraordinary things as ordinary people for the kingdom of God. All for the purpose of showing his surpassing power, his greatness. It all belongs to him and not to us. And so I'm excited to bring, uh, to be looking at this summer sermon series. I'm excited that God uses weak people like you and I to do amazing things in his kingdom, to shame the strong. He uses unlikely people to fulfill his purposes, and that is people that know and love him. That is his people, you and I, his church that he uses. And so I hope that this is an encouraging time. I hope that you find this summer series encouraging for you. Maybe you feel like you can't be used by God's. Maybe you feel like, oh, I'm caught in this sin, and I, how, why would God choose to use me? Well, he, he longs to use all of us. He longs for us to be willing to be moulded and shaped by him, to be made more like Jesus each and every day. And so today we're going to be focusing on Deborah. Um, she was um, uh, actually 
not that ordinary. She's pretty extraordinary already, as we see, as, we, as you've probably heard in that passage and as we unpack now. She is pretty extraordinary. But God uses her and she's faithful to the call. So I'm really excited about bringing this to you today. And well, um, just by some way of, of, of introduction, I think it's helpful when we're looking at people, standalone people in the Bible, it's helpful to know the context of the time in which they're in and what's led up to um, why they're in the situation they're in. And so I'm just going to spend about five or six minutes looking at the context that we're in, um, that Deborah's in at the moment. And so what we've seen so far in the Bible will be that the leadership of Israel has gone from Moses, goes from Moses. Um, Moses is the one who led God's people out out of Egypt, out of the suppression, the oppression that were suffering there, onto the edge of the promised land. And then what happens is the leadership gets handed over to Joshua, and Joshua is the person that leads the people to take the promised land, the land that God has promised his people. And then they divide the land up between the 12 tribes, and all things are going really well. There is peace and there is prosperity in the land, all under God's rule and reign, how it should be. But then... The nation that are meant to make other nations jealous because of the God that they have, because of the blessing that they receive through following and obeying his law, rebel. They turn away from him. They say, no, I don't want you anymore. We don't need you anymore. They go against his law. They intermarry with the other nations. They actually end up taking and moving into the nations. Some of them, they actually end up taking the gods of other nations as well and worshipping them. And then what happens is God chooses 12 judges to rule over Israel at separate times. There's one judge at each time, but one judge from each of the tribes of Israel over a period of time end up taking it in turns to be judges that are selected by God. And through this time, what we see is a downturn in the, in the fortunes of God's people. Things get worse and worse. It's this repeated cycle of um, God's people turn away from him and worship other gods. He lovingly tries to draw them back through repentance and faith and they eventually yield and they repent and they, uh, they have peace and prosperity and then they sin again, they turn away from him again. But each time it's a downward cycle getting worse, a downward spiral for them. But throughout it, what we see is a loving God who is just desperate to have his people obeying him because he knows that's what's good for them. And so we pick that up in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after he had died. And what is God's response? Well, we see that in in verse 2. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of his armies was Sisera, and lived, who lived in Haraseth Hagamim. I won't say that too often during this time. Um, so what God does is he gives them what they want. He says, you go over, I'll give you over to your evil desires. Well, why does he do this? Is, is this loving? Does a loving God do that? Well, what he's doing is he's showing them and giving them the experience of what it is uh, to have things that don't satisfy them, that don't bring satisfaction to them. And it's the same for us today, isn't it? We repeatedly say no to God, or even on a daily basis. We, we, we do other things. We say, oh, that looks better over there. Let's go over there. Or oh, this is going to satisfy me, so I'm going to push and pursue this dream. And God sometimes gives us over to those desires. You see, a lot of the time, the consequences are exactly what we ask for by our sin. The consequences are exactly what we ask for by our sin and our foolishness. Israel were oppressed for 20 years. That's a generation they were oppressed for by this horrible, cruel king, Jabin of Canaan. 
But for us, maybe um, it's getting what we think we want, but it doesn't satisfy us. God allows us to pursue those things, but it doesn't ever fully satisfy us because that's not God's will for us. And he does it for our good, even though it feels painful. This is God saying, if you don't want, to, if you don't want me to be your God, I'm going to give you a picture of what it's like without me. But then he mercifully reminds us that things are so much better with him and he calls us to come back to him in repentance and faith. And that's what they do. Verse 3, so what does it say in Judges verse 3? It says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he, that is Sisera, the leader of the Canaanite army, had 900 chariots and iron of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. 20 years you think, what could take them so long to go back to God and cry out for help, being subjected to an awful ruler for 20 years, knowing what had happened to their uh, generations before where God brought them out of um, Egypt safely? But you see, it just shows how far we're willing to go in pursuing our own will, in pursuing maybe things that aren't right for us, rather than seeking God's. But they do come to a place of repentance and their repenting is saying, I've rebelled against you and I don't want to do that anymore, God. And what we see in our passage today is that God's plan to call them back to himself. Look at what you're missing, guys. I want you to come back and have it. You see, this is the powerful God who can free you from the oppression like he did before in Egypt. And this plan is already in place. You see, Deborah is already in the situation of being judged. And she is the, the one that God has chosen to bring um, them to see their repent, that they need to repent. And to see that he is going to give them victory over their oppressors and bring them back into a relationship with him. The plan was already in place. God had it there. He was just waiting for his people to cry out to him. You see, the plan is in motion for us today. Just as Deborah brought about, through God, brought about salvation for God's people, it was only temporary. Soon enough, they would turn away again and the cycle would happen again. But for us, it's a little bit different. Deborah points us to Jesus, Jesus, the one to come, who was able to bring salvation once and for all. Every sin that has ever happened, every sin that we will do in the future has been forgiven if we just go to God and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You can be king over my life. Isn't that wonderful that he is willing to have his arms open, ready to forgive us, desperate for us to come to him? And maybe that's you. Maybe this you've never truly repented of your sin. Maybe you, you, you've never heard this before. There is a God that is desperate to be in relationship with you who wants to rule your life so that you can have the most hopeful and the best fulfilling life possible not always going to be easy certainly not but when you know your will and the purpose of God for your life things just become so much more meaningful don't they and so we have a patient God who's willing to wait even 20 years maybe it's 30 years 40 years 50 years 60 years maybe it's even 80 years maybe it's your whole life that you have been in rebellion against God but he is waiting with his arms open ready for you desperate to forgive you and for you to turn back to him but 
The Bible says that Jesus will one day return and he is going to take his people to be with him in heaven in this wonderful place where we're going to be praising Jesus all, every single day and it's going to be wonderful. But the Bible also says that the eternal life waits for everybody. But for those that don't bow the knee now in, this, in their lifetime who don't know Jesus, they will spend an eternity without God. And the Bible is very clear that that place is called hell and that is not a pleasant place. So can I encourage you, if that's you today and you're thinking about this and you want to discuss this with someone, please press the prayer button now or join the sermon or at the end, reach out. Um, this is probably the most important thing you'll ever think of or, or, or um, spend time thinking of. There is a God that loves you, that wants to rule your life, to direct your ways, because his ways are better than our ways. He will satisfy us. But today I want us to focus on the person of Deborah. Uh, the person of Deborah and how she does extraordinary things to save God's people, how God uses her. And there's four things I want us to look at today in her personality, in, her character, in the way she is, that we learn from this passage. Things that I think would be really helpful for us to be encouraged with today and to maybe have some food for thought and things to think about over the coming week. So firstly, what we see is we see that Deborah was a woman of great character. Deborah was a woman of great character. And we see that in verses 1 to 5 of the passage that we've read. Keep your Bibles open, please, and to check that you're happy with what I'm saying. You see, um, in verse 4, we see that she was a trusted prophetess. She was a trusted prophetess. In a nation of people that had turned to other gods, she was chosen as a prophetess. That means that she was chosen as the person that God was going to speak to directly to then, for that person to then go and speak to the people of Israel, to his people, about what he was saying. And what he was saying was, I'm here, I'm ready for you. Cry out to me in repentance and I will save you. That was a message she had. She was a woman that had her face turned towards God to listen to him and to speak on his behalf. So she was trusted by him to be that person. But we also see that she was a great multitasker. She was also a judge, it says in those verses as well, in verses 1 to 5, that she was a judge. But she was a prophetess, a judge, and also ended up being a military leader as well, helping direct Barak, who was a little less um, willing uh, with the command that God had for them. She was also a wife and a mum. So she was a pretty busy lady, to be honest, wasn't she? And, and actually, her name Deborah, and names are really important in the Bible and what they mean, her name Deborah means bee. So she was a busy bee, had a hand in everything. And interestingly, no other person from, the, from Moses to Samuel fulfilled these three roles. No one was trusted to do that. But Deborah, it just speaks so highly of Deborah's character, doesn't it, that God trusted her with these things. And also, she was the only female judge out of the 12 judges that were selected through this period that God chose. Not even one man at that time against 12 tribes was even worthy was godly enough, had the character of leading God's people. So we see that she had a great character. But also her role of judge was to be a peacemaker. That was the, the main, one of the main roles, was to be a peacemaker. And it took two forms for Deborah. What we see is she was a peacemaker between the people of Israel. And we see that in verse 5, that she used to sit under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill of the country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up for her to judge, for her judgments. She sat underneath the palm of Deborah. I mean, I love that. 
she has a palm named after her. Is it brilliant, isn't it? Like I've got a palm tree, in my, I've got two palm trees in my back garden. The, I'm thinking about renaming them the Palm of Dan. I don't know what Nikki, what you think about that, but we can maybe have our discussions underneath that. Um, but anyway, she she said what she said goes: any dispute, her decision was final, and her goal was to bring peace between um, the people that had a disagreement. And you see, her godly character would have shone through. And they would have trusted what she'd said and accepted her decisions. But secondly, we also see that she was a peacemaker between Israel and God. You see, another role of the judge was to establish justice and the practice of following the Torah. That's following the first five books of the Bible, teaching them to follow the law that God had given them amongst the whole of the 12 tribes of Israel. She was seeking to obtain justice for the tribes as well. Um, freedom from their oppressors, driving out their, oppressor, uh, their, their oppressors, bringing salvation, rest and peace and reconciliation to them. But we see that peace can only come when they're in a right relationship with God. That was the only way. And so it had to mean that God's people would turn back to him in repentance and faith. And that was her job. And so she would call out. And so the, the, prophet, the prophetess would basically say, Turn and repent. God wants you to come back. And she did it for, for 20 years this was happening. Can you imagine how frustrating that would have been for 20 years? Call, come and repent. God wants to help you. Come and repent. God, God knows what's best for you. She was, a peace, she was in the peacemaking business. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, we too are to be peacemakers. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are are the peacemakers. And you see, it's really important that we understand what is meant here when we're called to be peacemakers. This is not merely the absence of conflict. This is not making truces. This is not agreeing to disagree. This is the extraordinary work of the Spirit that he does through us as we seek and strive, as Hebrews 12 tells us, strive for peace. We work towards that shalom peace that Kenny's taught us about before, that wholeness, that well-being, bringing reconciliation to the situation between people, all because of the peace that we've received with God because of Jesus. You see, striving for peace is extraordinary. It's not what normally happens in the world, is it? And especially when we feel, or we aren't, the people that are at fault. But we are still told to strive for peace with those people. It's not easy. And I'm sure that Deborah would have had some really difficult things to deal with and decisions to make. But she strove for peace. She wanted to bring peace to a situation. Can I ask you, are there any relationships you could be or even should be striving for peace in? You see, it's important because it's these bits of extraordinary, God-moulded, counter-cultural reactions and character traits that, that we grow in and have that attract other people to the kingdom of God, that make him known to the outside world. It's exactly what Israel should have been doing. It's exactly what we are called to do. And so that we strive for peace is really important, that we strive for peace within our church and within our, within our communities is so important because it's, it's such an important part of people being attracted to being part of God's people. So how we seek peace matters with our spouses, with our children, how we deal with work colleagues, how we deal with our neighbours, all matters. So is there anyone that you should be striving for peace with? 
Are there ways in which you could help build and continue to build that unity that has, we are called to maintain, that God has bought for us and brought for us and between us? Are there ways in which we can be working towards that and continuing to maintain the peace? But also, Deborah was called, uh, was concerned about finding peace, as we said, between God and his people. See, as believers, we are also to help our brothers and sisters in Christ to come to a place of crying out in repentance for the times that we've turned away from him. That's what we're called to do. We're taught to lead people into a place of repentance, confession and repentance and turning away from that. Turning to love God rather than loving the things of this world. And we're also, that's the message that we have to offer those that don't know Jesus, isn't it? Call them to repentance. But what we see in the Bible is we see many leaders who are leading Israel, God's people, that don't have the godly character. That actually lead the people further into sin, further away into rebellion from God. Think of King Saul, but I want you to think of, are there any relationships? Are there people in your life that rather than leading to repentance and turning away from rebellion from God, that actually, maybe inadvertently, or through some decisions that we make, that we might be leading them into rebellion? Think about relationships with girlfriends, with boyfriends, with spouses, with friends, with colleagues. Are we helping people flee from sin and from temptation, or are we helping people indulge their sin? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? It's really important. We want to be a people that lead people to a place of repentance and faith. We don't want to lead people away from God, do we? See, Deborah is a woman of great godly character, as shown through her peacemaking between the people of Israel and between Israel and God, helping them repent of their sin. But also what we see is she was a, great, a woman of great confidence, and we see that in verses 5 to 9, a woman of great confidence in the word of God. So um, what we see here is actually we see a huge contrast between, um, we see a contrast between Deborah and Barak and where their confidence is. In verses 6 to 9, we see that Deborah is a woman of great confidence in God's word, and, that, and what the Torah um, and, and what God's word has said to her and her will for her life. And she knows that God is going to give them victory over their oppressors. She knows it because God has said it. Compared to Barak, a military leader, who doesn't, he doubts it. Verse 6 says, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abdomen, from uh, Kedish Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. It's interesting here, the language infers that Barak knew what God had commanded. Has the Lord, the God, not commanded you? But he had not done anything yet with that command. He was hesitating. She was calling him, you need to obey this, Barak, but he was hesitating. See, that's the contrast between someone who is confident in God's word and someone who is not. Deborah understands the plan from God for them to be liberated. So does Barak, but he's not doing what God has called him to do. And I think a lot of the time, 
we're asking God, what is the will for my life? What am I supposed to do? What do I do in this situation? What's my purpose? Do I go for this job? Do I live here? Do I spend my money on this? Do I buy this house? Do I uh, marry this person? We're all curious, aren't we? What is the will of God? What is your will, God, for me? How should I live? We've all got these questions about the will of God. But maybe it's we're not following the word of God. You see, confidence in God's word leads to obeying God's word. Confidence in God's word leads to us obeying God's word. You see, the will of God, his purpose for us, is that we obey the word of God. That's his will for us. The will we're waiting for, all those other things that we're questioning and asking for, is the will that God has not yet revealed to us. We need to be obeying his word. The word of God that you may not be obeying is the will of God revealed. The word of God that you may not be obeying is the will of God revealed. His will is for us to obey him, first and foremost. Obey my word and I, and he will make, and I will make straight your paths. Obey my word and I'm going to make way straight your paths. I will direct you and show you where to go. Well, for Deborah, this was what God had said. This is the will I have for your life. And Deborah knew it. She knew God's word. Barak was hesitating. And so calls Barak over and says, the word of God is clear. It's your obedience that we're waiting for. So the obedience that God is waiting for. Oh, to have a good friend like Deborah, a sister in Christ like Deborah, who not only knows the word of God, but has the boldness to tell us, to, to tell others that they're hesitating. You see, delayed obedience is disobedience. If God has made clear the will for your life, the things that you are longing for, he will make clear in due time as we go. The obedient follower the submissive follower of God is increasingly desiring and increasingly able to follow the will of God. As we become more confident in his word, as we're in his word um, regularly, as we're spending time with him, we'll be more increasingly submissive. We'll increasingly know what the will he has for our life is. And this is an extraordinary work that God does through us, increasingly submitting us to his word. That's his desire for us. He knows that's the best way for us, for him to direct our paths. It's for us to obey him, to listen to him, and he will direct us. Are we trusting the word of God? Are we obeying the word of God? Are we growing confidence in what the word of God tells us? All the other things will come. He will direct our path. So Deborah was a woman of great character and a great confidence that let the Lord lead her and she fulfilled what he had to say. But we also see that thirdly, that Deborah was a woman of great courage, a woman of great courage. Barak said in verse eight, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go. This is Barak saying, the word of God is clear, and I know that, but I lack some courage. Deborah, will you come with me? Because you are so courageous, I need you. And Deborah willingly says, I will go with you. See, the amazing thing about Deborah is that she's happy to communicate the truth of God, but is also happy to go with him. Not only confidently knows the word of God, but she's willing to take others with her, 
to help them follow the will of God. She doesn't say, go and figure out on your own, but says, I'm actually going to walk with you. I'm going to hold your hand and walk with you so that you follow the word of God. And I love that about our community here at Oikos. I love that. The amount of people that have walked alongside me, rather than sitting in judgment on when I've done things wrong, but have got alongside me and said, let me help you figure this out. Let me pray with you. Let me help you discern what the will of God is in this situation. Let me help you obey what you're not obeying. That's the people of God we want to be, isn't it? The extraordinary things that God does through us. Because our natural inclination is is not to do those things. It's not to get alongside people and walk alongside them. This is spirit-prompted, spirit-led love and care to walk alongside other people. It's also interesting that Deborah doesn't say, this is what I prefer. But she says, this is what the word of God says. This is what the word of God says. She is so in tune with the word of God. And she knows the difference between what is her own broken words and thoughts and what are the thoughts and the words of God. What a blessing it is to know people like that. So sensitive to the leading of God's word and his spirit that with boldness and clarity, they can speak the truth of God to the people of God. See, what Deborah does, she steps into the gap where Barak lacks courage, where he continues to lack courage and says, I'm going to go with you. And so they go into battle together. And Romans 15, I think, is really helpful in this. Paul talks about in Romans 15, 1, that that those who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Walk alongside one another. When we're feeling weak, are we gathering along strong people that are going to help us on our journey? Do we desire to walk alongside and have our lives walked alongside by people and with people? Are we bearing with those that might be in a place of needing a strong person to come alongside them and walk with them through it? We read in verse 12, it says, Then um, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abdomen, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Haraseth Hagonium to the river Kishon. Anyway, what we're trying to get from here is the repetition of numbers. We see again 900 chariots. They estimate between 30 and 40,000 men. These were trained men compared to 10,000 men that were just makeshift from the different tribes of Israel, or some of the ones that turned up, that for 20 years hadn't been trained in combat. So we're meant to see the huge difference in the size of the armies. They didn't stand a chance. It would have been over so quickly under any normal circumstances. But Deborah maintains her confidence and acts courageously. In verse 14, it says, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go out before you? Does not the Lord go out before you? She's still, I love this, she's still encouraging Barak, holding his hand, bearing with him, But it's now, Barak, it's now you need to go. I need to let go of your hand. It's over to you now. My faith, now you've got to act your faith out. I've helped you along the way. And for us, as we we seek to walk alongside people and encourage others and bear with one another, um, sorry, as we seek to walk alongside people and encourage and bear with each other in being faithful, Um, to obeying God's word and the will for our lives, as we hold each other's hands, as we guide people, there comes a point, like Deborah, where we maybe have to let go. 
gently. Think about stabilizers when you're learning to ride a bike and the stabilizers eventually come off. Um, you've got to go it alone, you've got to live out your own faith. Think of children that have grown up in the faith. There is a time where when they're taught God's, God's um, words and his commands, and that is fantastic, there comes a point where they have to make their own decision. They can't live off the faith of parents. Are we seeking to look for other people that we can get alongside and help along the way and hold the hand in some, to discern what the will of God is for them, to, to help them obey and follow God's word? Are we seeking those people out? Or if we're feeling weak at the moment, are there people that we should be turning to and asking for help in this side. I don't know how to discern this. I don't know what I'm I'm meant to be obeying. I don't know what the will of God is for me in this situation. Let's go to people that you trust and know will walk alongside you along the journey. What we see is her courage, um, Deborah's courage, and we see that victory is handed over is pretty much all but one in verse 16. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army, and all the army of Sisera fell by the sword, the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. The victory is nearly complete. Deborah's courage to carry out what God um, had asked her to do has been rewarded, and God's judgment comes upon the Canaanites, and the freedom comes to Israel. And this brings me to my final point for today, and it's only a brief one, is Deborah was a woman of great compliment. I needed another C to fit in with the other ones. She was a woman of great compliment. Deborah knew who to compliment. She knew who had won the victory and who to praise. You see, she knew Barak's heart. She knew that potentially he might be tempted to take some of the glory himself. And so she says in verse 9, I will surely go with you, but nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Jael is the person that kills Sisera. Barak doesn't. He cannot get any of the glory, and rightly so. But Deborah also compliments in chapter 5, if you read the rest of chapter 5, she also compliments uh, the, the tribes that did turn up to help. Not all of them did come. She's pretty damning of those tribes. But the ones that did come and help, when it looked like they weren't going to win, she compliments people. But most importantly, she points to the greatest hero of them all. All praise, all glory must go to God. We see this in verse 23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. It was him that did it. And she does this because she wants all the people to know that it is God that deserves the praise and the glory. You see in chapter 5, verse 3, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord. I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hear, O kings, other kings and nations, it is God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, that has saved his nation. It's natural for, for us to want to take praise for ourselves, isn't it? Deborah knew the heart of man. She knew that Barak would be tempted to take the glory, and so she frees him from that and doesn't put him in that situation. She spares him. But as God's ordinary people used to do extraordinary things as his jars of clay wanting to be moulded by him to be more like his son Jesus, to be on his mission, to be growing his kingdom, doing extraordinary things in it. As we act as peacemakers between one another, as we help um, call people to repentance, as we help guide them to that, as we see people's lives saved for Jesus, as we grow in, uh, as we walk alongside with other people who are weak, as we um, 
are obedient to the call for our lives, as we grow in character and confidence in God's word, as we grow in courage to live out what his purpose is for us, whatever the circumstance, let's make sure that we always direct our praise and turn our face to God and give him all the glory. Let's pray. Um, Father, I want to thank you so much for the life of Deborah. Thank you for um, the, the godly woman that she was, the character that she had, the confidence in your word. Thank you for the courage that she showed. And thank you that she was a woman that was able to make sure she gave praise to the right place. Lord, I pray that we would learn um, something from her life. But ultimately, I pray that we would see how these are aspects of what we see pointed to in Jesus. Perfectly who wins our salvation once and for all on the cross. I pray that we would live in the light of that, that we are no longer condemned for our sin, that we are free, but we are also free to make sure that we are trying in your strength, with the Spirit's help, to draw others towards you. That we are seeking to be peacemakers with one another, that we strive for peace. I pray that we are people that love your word so much that we grow in confidence and knowing your word and obeying what you have for us and your will for our lives. I pray that we're people that get alongside, that get alongside those that need help and need a helping hand. Lord, I pray that we would know that it is you that deserve all the glory and the praise and that we would eagerly give it back to you. Amen. We're now going to move into our discussion groups. Um, so if you just press the Get Involved button. But just before we do that, um, just going to read a benediction um, for us as we, as we leave and go into those groups from 2 Thessalonians 2, which says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Pray you guys have a blessed week and you enjoy your time and that this time is really fruitful in your discussion groups. Yeah.
We bow down 